This is episode number 53 with the founder and director of player development at 108 Performance, Eugene Bleeker. In this episode, Eugene kind of talks about his background in the game of baseball, um, how 108 Performance got started. 108 is a data-driven facility in Southern California. Uh, Eugene talks a lot about what they do in this episode, and we really get into a lot of um, hitting mechanics in this in this episode. Uh, it's something that Eugene uh, probably knows more about than than any any person I've met. I mean, the amount of time and, and work he has put in to learning about not just hitting but pitching as well. Um, he talks about how he only sleeps three to four hours a night, uh, two to three days a week. He sleeps at his facility. He just opened up his second facility. Um, it's pretty inspirational. I want to also remind you guys to head on over to Blast Motion and to make sure to put in uh, the coupon code PJB25 for $25 off. Um, Blast motion sensor is something that I've been using for an entire year now, and it is something that has really, really helped the development of my players um, from as young as six years old all the way up to some of the college players I work with. You can track the attack angle, you know, whether it's negative and or positive. You know, some kids don't really understand what that means, but you can just kind of break down how, hey, if you have a negative attack angle, that means you're swinging down on the baseball. You're not going to be in the zone for as long of a period of time as you would be if it were positive. And it also goes in. You can also kind of update it, and it can be um, – uh, you can also track how long you're on playing with the baseball for, your bat speed. Um, an incredible sensor, the best one that I've seen on the market so far. So, again, make sure to head on over to BlastMotion.com, and on the checkout, there will be a spot for a coupon code, and type in PJB25 for $25 off. Hope you guys enjoy t- today's episode with Eugene Bleeker, and, again, thanks for listening. Welcome to Patrick Jones Baseball. My name is Patrick Jones, former professional baseball player and host of this podcast. My day job is a podcaster and my night job is a baseball instructor. Please email me at jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com if you're interested in getting hitting lessons from me. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and let's get to work. We are now live with Eugene Bleeker, founder and director of player development at 108 Performance. Eugene, thanks for coming on today. Patrick, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. We got uh, got late a little bit this morning, but uh, I'm I'm happy to be on and uh, excited to be on the show. Well, dude, you're a machine, man. I mean, you you went to bed at like 6:30 a.m. after working all night long. <laughs> what? I uh, I couldn't help it, dude. Um, you know, I am at the Riverside shop tonight, and or was at the Riverside shop last night, excuse me, and um, kind of went off on one and knew I needed to be here in the morning to hop on the call with you, and it was just uh, really easy to kind of, you know, burn the candle at both ends last night, and uh, there's some really interesting things that we're looking into and doing some research on and, and trying to get better at, so... Um, you know, it was, uh, like, I enjoy it. You know, I thrive late at night, you know, that's when my brain gets really creative and, and I'm awake and up and ready to go. It's the, uh, early part of the morning that I struggle with, but, um, 
you know, it's become easier over the years. Um, you know, I kind of, I'm usually pretty good. You give me three hours of sleep and I'm usually, I'm usually pretty good. You only so. sleep about three hours a day. Uh, I would say somewhere between three and four and a half. <laughs> yeah. I feel lazy right now talking to you. Well, that's the thing, man. You, you got to, uh, you got to be able to, I don't know. I think your body adapts, right? That's what we always say. That's what you always tell people, right? Body specifically adapts to impose demands. And, um, you know, it all depends on how bad you, you want to do things and how bad you want to accomplish them. Uh, I heard a, a pastor say, this is something that stuck with me a long time ago, that there's a, our ability to influence others is directly related to what we say versus what we do, right? So, you know, we talk to players about uh, chasing their dreams and making sacrifices to achieve their goals and all these other things. And, you know, who are we to tell them that if we're not also living and embodying that ourselves? You know, we have to be able to uh, show them that we're doing the same exact thing. You know, you can't just tell them, uh, you have to show them. And, you know, like, uh, I think that's a really important part of it. And, um, you know, it makes it really easy to do because I enjoy it. And I don't think it's anything different than anybody that's doing anything great, you know, anywhere. Like, uh, you know, Elon Musk, you know, thinks about what he's doing from the time he wakes up to the time he goes to sleep. And I'm sure, you know, Mark Zuckerberg got asked once uh, how much he works on, you know, on Facebook and, you know, in his response, he asked, uh, do you mean how many hours I'm in the office or do you mean, you know, how many hours a day I'm sitting around thinking about, you know, where we're going to go next and what we're trying to do and what needs to be done better? Because if that's the that's the question, it's like, you know, uh, every waking hour of the day. Uh, so, you know, if I got five hours of sleep, then uh, the rest of the day is is spent thinking about it. So. Um, you know, I would say that's a lot like, uh, you know, what I'm doing out here. And, uh, I just really, um, I enjoy it, man. I enjoy it a lot and I love what I do and I feel super blessed to be able to, uh, to be able to do it. So just trying to do everything I can. That's awesome, man. It's really, that's really what it's, it's all about. I mean, growing up though, did you have that same type of obsession with baseball as a kid and in high school and in college? Yeah, absolutely, 100%, uh, without a doubt. Uh, my mom sent me to, uh, you know, when I was like seven years old, uh, my mom and I were, we had moved in with my grandparents uh, when I was like a year old, and, uh, you know, she was doing college and law school and, and all that stuff. So when I was seven, she put me during the beginning of the summer in a, like a day camp, uh, Buckley <laughs> Country Day School. And I absolutely hated it. I came home the first day. I said, I never want to sing and do arts and crafts ever again. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to play baseball. So we looked through the, through the newspaper and found New York Tech Baseball Academy. And, you know, I went there the following week. And, you know, man, that was, that was it. I mean, I had already loved baseball. You know, I had a, my grandfather loved the game. And he, uh, his dad, my great grandfather, was a uh, the Bronx Borough president. Um, and he ran for mayor in New York City really, really long time ago. Uh, but my grandfather grew up like you know in Yankee Stadium as a kid and just loved the game. And um, you know, like I got pictures on my walls here of him with uh, you know Bill Dickey and Charlie Geringer and all those guys because they had box seats at Yankee Stadium, so they would go all the time. 
And, uh, you know, he just raised me to, you know, to love it. And when I started going to academy and camp and, uh, that was it. And I was, I was hooked. I was, you know, I was seven years old. It was the first year baseball tonight was on. It was 1990. Um, you know, I was playing Tecmo baseball on Nintendo. I was collecting baseball cards. I was playing wiffle ball out front, uh, just super obsessed from a young age and, um, you know, never left. Uh, I got twin girls right now, and uh, one of them is named Brooklyn Shea after Shea Stadium, where I grew up going to games, and the other one is uh, Mackenzie Rose after uh, Pete Rose, my uh, my favorite player of all time. So, um, you know, just uh, always loved it, man. I was always going to stay in it and be a part of it, and when I was done playing, I knew I wanted to, wanted to coach, and, you know, that was it. I love that that you named after Pete Rose. Uh, I live in Cincinnati, so obviously Pete Rose is a huge, huge deal around here. Um, I had George Foster on my show the first episode, and I'm working on to get him to get me Pete Rose on. So um, huge Pete Rose fan as well. Yeah, well, you know, he just uh, you have to you have to think that he is the guy that, like, any time a coach on the field, anytime anybody's saying you know, that they want somebody to play hard. Like, like that's the guy, that's the ultimate competitor. That's the ultimate competitor. Like he ran the bases, like his hair was on fire. And if he wasn't safe, like the world was going to end, you know, like he just hated, he hated to lose. He, he always wanted to win. He didn't care what it was. He was just going to find a way to beat you, you know, and that's just how he, uh, how he operated. And you got to have tremendous respect for that. I think we could all, you know, agree with that. That's why everyone had such respect for him and just the, the passion, the intensity, the fire, uh, you know, the competitive spirit, um, you know, all that was a 10 out of 10 for me. And I think, uh, you know, that's a, that's an important piece of, uh, you know, the human spirit and it's an important piece of, uh, you know, playing sports and, uh, wanting to be successful, you know, so I just have a ton of respect for the way he played the game, you know? Absolutely. After you were done playing in college, did you uh, think about continuing to try to play like independent baseball or did you just want to go straight into coaching to help players? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, my ultimate goal, dude, I, it's good that I almost didn't get into professional baseball because I like, I would have been Crash Davis. Like I would have sat in the minor leagues for 20 years and I wouldn't have stopped <laughs> until somebody ripped the jersey off my back. Like I would have been happy. I would have paid them. Like I will pay you right now. Just let me let me be a part of the team and sit on the bus and and go catch bullpens and um, you know I uh, I moved. I got hurt my senior year and I moved back to New York and for like a month and a half, two months, I was trying to figure out what to do. And uh, there was a guy out in California that ran a scalpel thing with the Dodgers um, and. I, you know, he offered me to come out here and I, um, you know, I thought about it and, you know, I'd been chasing it for so long. I felt a bad taste in my mouth, hanging it up on, you know, not just on an injury, but, uh, you know, without giving it, you know, another shot. So, uh, moved out here to Southern California and started training and, and, uh, you know, it took about, uh, six months and I started going to tryouts. Um, you know, in the meantime, I started, uh, coaching, doing lessons, working with players and, uh, working with some teams and, um, you know, the rest is, uh, 
as they say, history. You know, I spent about a year and a half going to the tryouts and, uh, you know, couldn't get, couldn't get signed, did pretty well. And some of them especially, and, um, you know, bottom line is, man, I was a really good catch and throw guy. Uh, I was not a great hitter. Uh, I had some, some barrel to ball skills, but, um, you know, could not, uh, could not really drive the ball. And I didn't figure it out till too late. Like even still today, if I go in the cage and I take my old college swing, I'm like 84, 85 on hit tracks, like no matter what. And if I swing, like I would swing, if I went back, like how I know how to swing now, I, I can run it up to 97 and I can easy sit 88 to 91 finding barrel. Um, you know, which is uh pretty interesting, you know, it's uh, just, that's part of why this stuff is so awesome, man. Finding real information, you know, like, uh, real information to, uh, you know, help guys actually figure out what they have in the tank and, uh, take the game as far as they can, you know? So, uh, but I think for me getting into coaching was probably, a uh, the better, definitely the better route. It helped at being in Southern California. Um, uh, there were 16 year olds that were more physically gifted than I was <laughs> so, see, seeing that, seeing that out here, uh, you know, that definitely helped expedite the process, but I come from a family of educators and a family of communicators. Um, you know, my grandfather was an attorney and taught law. My mom is an attorney and taught law. Uh, the two aunts I grew up with in my grandparents' house, uh, one of them is a high school principal. The other one is the head of the health science and math department at a high school. Uh, so, you know, like, um, education and knowledge was super, um, appreciated and prized and, uh, you know, my grandfather always told me growing up that, uh, someday, uh, you will make your living, uh, based off of the information you've been able to acquire and your ability to communicate it to other people. Um, so I've always taken that to heart and you know, I did that as a player and, you know, still doing it now. I was doing it last night at like six <laughs> or this so, morning at six. <laughs> yeah. This morning at six, this morning at six. So you have a you have your own data driven facility, um, which I think is really cool. And I know you we were talking before we started recording. And I'm like, you know, are you trying to do this? And you're like, well, well, we're not trying. Like we're actually doing it. And I didn't mean to offend you there, but it's just we're like in, where I am in Cincinnati. You know, we don't. There's no there's no places like that. I feel like you guys on the West Coast are just like way ahead of us in terms of you know the baseball development and, and everything like that, which is is cool. But we're just we're trying to keep up with you guys. Yeah, well, I think it's a it's a game of catch up everywhere, you know. Like, look, there's great dudes all over the country that are doing a really good job looking for answers. Like, uh, Rick Strickland is my dude. Do you know who Rick Strickland is? Yeah, I just had him on my show. You did? When did you have him on? Uh, two episodes ago, a couple weeks ago. Cool. Yeah, man, I love that guy. He's in the Midwest. Yeah, he's in he St. Louis. I'm gonna actually, he's one of the he's guys I'm going to try and drive up and go visit him. Uh, you got to do it. If you're over there and you can drive to it, you got to go do it. Rick is the man. Uh, his guy, Danny Chambliss, out there does an amazing job. And I actually just, uh, they just started with these um, two strength guys and their names uh, escape me, but they do a very good, just having a conversation with them for like an hour like they're going to do a really good job. Like they're, they're onto some stuff. They're, uh, you know, using not just data, but good data. And they're looking data is one thing, but like 
looking for the right stuff and using it well is, is a whole other ball game. Like even, even the exit velocity and the launch angle thing, like there it's great information, right? But it can't be the only focus. It can't be the only focus for everybody. Some guys need to not think about it at all. And you have to understand how to use it. Like you have to understand how to use the information. Like for some guys, it needs to just be feedback on where we're trying to get to, uh, you know, it needs to be feedback for them in terms of what they're creating and what they're working through. Uh, and they need to understand what's good and what's not. Um, and it's not just uh, the harder, the better, because you can hit a ball harder in a lot of different ways. But self-organization is not always self-optimization. And if you're trying to remap a pattern or you're trying to, uh, you know, there's just, there's so many different ways to look at it. And, and what you're trying to do is put together, uh, your best swings on a regular basis and, and put together the framework for, uh, what your swing is and, and what your moves are and, and what they're going to be. Um, and just randomly going, uh, you know, berserk hair on fire, uh, doesn't quite work out like that. Actually, one of the things, let me pull this up because one of the things, I was looking at last night, this actually just kind of directly applies. Uh, hold on one second. Yeah, no, no, no. So, so one of the things I wrote down, so in evolution, right, uh, the fittest can be defined as those members of the population that make the most economical use of the energy sources available in their ecological niche. So, like, when you think about animals, Right. And this is a thing written by a Harvard professor. Like, well, when you look at animals, uh, the fittest animals are able to uh, make the most economical use of their energy sources. They can conserve their energy the best. They don't have to work so hard to do certain things. Right. So it's the belief of these people that wrote this, that the energy efficiency is the absolute criterion for survival. Right. The absolute criterion for survival. So one of the questions they posed is if being the fittest is an expression of the individual's overall performance um, and evolution has resulted in the creation of an optimum biological system comprised of op like, could you say that it's optimum biological system comprised of optimally interconnected systems and that performance uh, is ideal with the most um, the creation of the most with the consumption of the least amount of energy. So like we, we look at hitting and throwing as capturing energy. Like th that's what your, that's what your job is, is to capture energy really efficiently. Like you, you can move, but if you're not moving efficiently, uh, it doesn't make a difference. Um, you know, because you can't create good movement patterns within the body if you're not moving efficiently. Like if you're trying to throw, think about it like this, if you're trying to throw as hard as you can and you're launching yourself completely out of pattern all the way down the mound, uh, you know, you're losing your stretch, you're bustling up, you're five miles an hour slower than what your ideal velocity is. Why is that? The reason is, even though you're trying to throw as hard as you can, uh, you are not allowed, you're not putting your body in good positions to capture energy and move well. And it's the same thing with the swing. It's the same exact thing with the swing. You know, from the time your front foot lands, you know, it's time to turn. And when we turn, we want to capture energy and we want that energy to move super efficiently. So when you watch certain guys, like they, they're not, say, swinging with 100% effort, but they're producing their highest exit velocities 
that's because their patterns are really, really good. And that, that leads right back to that, that fascia that we were talking about earlier. You know, fascial stretch has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the term uh, muscling up. A lot of what we try to do here is connect the dots for people, you know, and for us and for our players and help to understand things and bridge the gap between uh, data and information and then also, you know, old school, right? So basically old school versus new school because that old school is not wrong. I'm telling you right now, they are not wrong. They, they know what they felt. They know what they, and that's what we need to do is feel more. That's what guys need to do is feel more. They know what they felt. They might not know how to explain it. They don't know how to describe it. Uh, they don't know the science behind it, but they know something about it was right. They know what they were trying to do and they did it. You know what I mean? Like they felt it. Uh, so when you hear some guys say slow is smooth and smooth is fast and swing easy and throw easy and you'll get your bet. Like some people think about that and they're like, what the hell are you talking about right now? Like I'm trying to throw hard, man. I'm trying to hit the ball hard, but there are a lot of guys that because their fascia, which works kind of like a rubber band is really stiff already. It's really tight. The interconnection of the body with that fascia is really, really tight and held together. Um, if they try to go too hard and they overstretch that, as soon as they start to turn, everything's going to come at the same time, essentially. Like, you know, their, their whole body's just going to fly. They're not able to achieve a good stretch. So for them to get into a good position of fire when their front foot hits, they need to be looser and easier to get to that position. Whereas other guys who are looser rubber bands, they have to work hard to pull that thing all the way stretched. For them to achieve energy well – they have to pull that stretch out big time. Okay? Um, I'm a loose mover. A lot of former players that were elite, a lot of former pro guys, they are stiff movers. That's why they were elite. That's why I was not as good as some of them were. That's why no matter what I did, I probably wasn't going to run better than a 7-3. Right? Like I just, some guys have that. Uh, naturally, they are just stiffer, faster movers. And other guys don't. The looser movers are the ones that generally need to go max in 10 or high in 10. And the stiffer movers are generally the ones that need to be a little looser and easier. So it's not as simple as just hit the ball harder. It's not as simple as just hit the ball harder in the air or swing as hard as you can. Like that's that, And that's why the old school coaches are resisting change now. Because they're looking at data and they're looking at people talking about data and they're saying, you guys have no idea what the hell you're talking about. I played professional baseball. I played seven years in the big leagues. Uh, you know, I hit 30 home runs one year. And I'm telling you right now, dude, I did not try to swing as hard as I can. And when I did, everything got all screwed up. They're right. They're right. That's exactly what they needed to do. They figured out what they needed to do. But it doesn't exist that same way for every player, especially young kids. Especially young kids. Because when that kid was seven... Guess what he probably did? He didn't know anything about trying to swing easy, man. That guy was trying to hit nukes. He was trying to hit the ball as hard as he could. He did what came naturally. He did what, you know, his brain told him he should do, which was swing hard. So, you know, uh, developmental DNA is important to understand. Uh, you know, developing a young player versus a, you know, collegiate player versus a pro player, looking at their body types, understanding how they're put together. Uh, optimal results are different for everybody. It's not as simple as giving guys, you know, just these thoughts or these drills or, uh, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Like you, you got to get in the trenches and, and to really see what's going on. Like you have to, you got to have a huge toolbox and you got to explore and you got to search and you got to dig deep and you just got to try to find 
uh, better ways to create, going back to what started the discussion, um, conservation of energy and, and efficient movement patterns and, and just uh, uh, like moving the barrel through space cleanly with control and bat speed. But I also think bat speed is super overrated, by the way. Um, I don't know if that's something you want to talk about, but I know I was just on a rant right there. But- why, why do you think... Well, first of all, let me take you back to kind of what you were talking about, you know, loose movers and stiff movers. So I guess for yeah. the average the average, you know, person out there listening who may may not, you know, know as much as, as you do, could you so what would example of a, a loose mover or someone who has to create a bunch of stretch when they swing be like Mookie Betts and then someone tight would be like Mike Trout? Uh, I would say Josh Donaldson and Mike Trout. Yeah, Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts too. I got to study his swing a little bit more. I've, I've pretty much looked at his hand pat, like the pattern of his his hands and his barrel more than anything. Uh, but I did see now that I recall, I did see a picture of him with like a super opened up front side, huge mobility level with his upper body torqued in. So I, uh, yeah, I mean I, Mookie Betts could probably be a could probably be a guy that you would describe as that. Definitely Donaldson. So, like, think about Donaldson, right? So he lands open with that front foot. Those hips take a take a big spin, uh, open, right? Lands open, right? Turning, turning, turning. Then you watch Mike Trout, okay? Like, like you just said, uh, if Mike Trout tried to hit like that and land like that, what do you think would happen? Not good. Not good. His upper body would fly open. He would have a hell of a time holding on to his angles and and keeping his front shoulder closed. Uh, staying on the ball, like Mike Trout is a really stiff mover. He has to do less, and that creates more for him, okay? Um, so for him, uh, swinging like Donaldson doesn't work. So why, why is and that's why, that's why And that's why building swings around the mover, around the mover. Like you can't force, there is no, uh, like there is no one best way, like, um, there's multiple ways you can, you can move multiple options. You can, you can craft into your swing, multiple things that you can do and be an elite level hitter. Um, you know, you just have to understand, uh, what those are and then what you should be trying and, and making sense of and not. So why is bat speed overrated in your opinion? <clears throat> okay. So I've had kids come into this facility and tested their bat speed. Like one kid came in, he was an elite player, Northern California, flew down. Uh, his bat speed was 86, okay? But you can swing a bat really, really fast and not use your body to do it. You can take your hands and your arms and make the bat speed register pretty darn high, okay? Um, but that doesn't mean that you're connected and producing an ideal uh, result. So – Force shows up as, um, as exit velocity in baseball, okay? So that's the force that your body is applying to the baseball when you swing. Force is mass times acceleration. If you are not connected, your mass is not the driving force behind adding into that exit velocity, okay? I've had players, like you, you can watch uh, a strong kid take a super connected swing at like literally 60% perceived effort, and we had a pro guy – uh, doing some patterning work on an open 90-90, and just to show him, uh, he did some of those with on the on the flight scope, 
And he was popping 90s and 91s at like literally no effort. He was just turning super connected and on time. So his body was having an effect on the exit velocity and the force that was being applied to the ball. Now, on the flip side, he could have swung his bat really, really fast and just used his hands and not necessarily created the same exit velocity. You, you have to be able to capture energy with the whole body and different hitters uh, produce different amounts of force in different, uh, in, in different ways. They create stretch a little bit differently. Some guys have more in one area than another. Uh, some guys are um, you know, creating more bat speed than others. If you look at bat speed of big league hitters, like it's not what you think it is. It's not what people think it is. And it doesn't have to be uh, like there's some, some of the greatest hitters of all time, right, have notably low bat speeds. Notably low bat speeds. Home runs get hit with a 74-mile-an-hour bat speed. I've seen 74 miles an hour touch 108 on freaking flight scope. Okay, bat was only moving 74, but super connected swing. Uh, ball went, you know, 100, 108 miles an hour. Um, so if that's the case, then people should recognize that chasing bat speed is not the only, uh, the only thing necessary. And I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying, like, how we create the result of the exit velocity, how your body is moving the barrel is way more important than just the bat speed itself. Like, is it traveling on a clean path? Is it, uh, is that path adjustable and, and direct? Like, um, you know, is it connected? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And it, and it kind of brings me to, um, kind of your, I remember reading. And actually moving, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, moving the bat through space a little bit slower, you realize that also keeps it on plane with the ball longer, right? Like it keeps it on plane longer because it's moving slower. So what if some guys that are big and strong and have super connected swings are better hitters because they don't swing as hard as they can and they swing connected? I'm just saying. No, that that makes sense. I remember back when I was, you know, we, I, I mean, we were talking before the show started, I played in the Pecos League not too far from you, and I literally told myself on deck to swing down. I knew I wasn't, but I had a natural just loopy swing, and I could get and do like a, a, a stage where I'd strike out a million times in a row because of that. So I would tell myself to swing down. So I, I do like that how you brought up how the old school versus the new school, like there's, there's, there's right ways for both of them. Yeah, it's, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to give you a perfect example. I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, so one of the things I love about this game, and this is one of the things that keeps me up all night, is all the data available now to sift through. So if you go on baseball reference, we're going to talk about two guys right now, two of the best opposite field hitters in Major League Baseball, okay? Freddie Freeman, okay, uh, and J.D. Martinez. Would you agree that they are two of the best opposite field guys in Major League Baseball? Yes. 100%, right? Well, if you go on fan graphs, which is just what an amazing resource that is, man. Amazing resource. You can pull up spray charts for both of those guys. Well, I did that. You can pull up the 2016-2017 spray chart from Freddie Freeman over a two-year stretch and J.D. Martinez. Okay, And when you look at those charts, it's going to blow your freaking mind. One is left-handed, one is right-handed. Freddie Freeman talks about swinging down and hitting the ball on the ground with the shortstop and BP. And J.D. Martinez talks about the fact that he never wants to hit a ground ball ever again for the rest of his life because it ruined his life. And now that he's hitting the ball in the air, he is who he is. Okay. 
they both have very similar swing patterns and they both work with fairly vertical bat planes. Okay. They both hit the ball very well to the opposite field. Okay. Uh, but one thing's down, one thing's up. When you look at their spray charts, they are literally identical over a two year stretch. Okay. And just flip, just flip. How many balls do you think that Freddie Freeman hits on the ground to the opposite field? In the last two years, last two years, 16 and 17 seasons, how many ground balls do you think he hit on the ground oppo? Well, I can, I, I mean, uh, I this, can... This, this accounts for every single ball he put in play. Every single ball he put in play. How many balls on the ground oppo? Not very many. Yep, correct. Correct answer. Uh, like less than 15. Well, you know, Eugene, I, I kind of cheated. J.D. Martinez, same thing. Every ground ball those guys hit, for the most part, like we're talking 95-plus percent are pull-side ground balls, okay? Now, on the same token, where are all their fly balls? Where's their high fly ball percentage? Opposite field. Opposite field. Okay, opposite field. Where is their high line drive percentage? Opposite field? No, pull side. Pull side? Pull side. Fly balls oppo, pull side, line drives. Okay? So when you start to look at it, and then you start to look at the videos attached, and now you go on Baseball Savant, right? So you flip over from Fangraphs, you go on Baseball Savant, you type in left-handed hitters, balls put in play, exit velocities of 100 to 120, launch angles of 10 to 35, uh, you know, put in your zones. Like, that's, that's why this is so awesome, because you can click only plays a video, and you can look at every ball that fits that category that, where there's a video of Freddie Freeman and J.D. Martinez. Okay? Um, when you do it, where do you think uh, where do you think they hit balls on the outside part of the plate? Do you think they hit them deep or further out front? Where do out. you think they hit off speed pitches, deep or out front? Out front. Out front. Out front. So if you have a vertical bat plane, right, for the same reason that some guys – the reason some guys need to think down is the reason some guys need to think oppo to pull the ball better. Some guys, when they think pull, they get there too fast, they hook it, they come around it. They think oppo, their timing mechanism is better, so they actually pull the ball better, right, when they think oppo right? Because they're not too fast to their contact point. Guys that think down with a vertical bat plane, the same works the same way north, the swing works the same way north-south as it does east-west. So if you think down, but you catch the ball out front on the upswing, the swing is like a pendulum. If that same guy that's really fast thinks up, right, but he gets there too early, then he's under everything. Then he's under everything, you know? So um, it, for that same reason, if you have a guy getting on plane with some kind of depth and a vertical bat plane, if he catches that ball out in front, where's it going? Brother, that ball's going in the air. That is never going on the ground. The best opposite field hitters in baseball never hit the ball on the ground in the opposite field, ever. They never do it. That's why they're the best opposite field hitters. Because when we look at them, they're getting results to the opposite field, which defines them as good opposite field hitters. But the ball at no point is ever going on the ground, whether you have to think that way or not. Now, for Freddie Freeman, training that way can be very important for him based on where his contact point is. 
that might need that might be exactly what he needs to think pregame to get him dialed to hit the ball over the fence to the opposite field. Okay. Now, when they catch the ball too far out in front, it's always going up. That's where all those fly balls are. And then the ones they hit well are home runs. Now, when you think pull side, they're catching those deeper. So because they're catching them deeper, they're generally not hitting fly balls on a regular basis with it because they're not getting their bat plane quite as vertical, quite as far out in front. So because of that, uh, like on that pendulum, they're hitting a lot of line drives to the pull side, but the balls they do get in the air, so to speak, they were quantified as in the air. Guess where all those balls are? Bombs. Over the fence. Over the fence. Those are all pumps, dude. Over the fence. Look at the fan graphs data for yourself, dude. It's mind-blowing. And then you can watch the videos to back it up. Like, it's, uh, God, man, information is so awesome. And connecting the dots is so awesome. Like, they're swinging down if it creates a Freddie Freeman swing. or J.D. Martinez and Freddie Freeman both have very similar swings. I don't give a crap whether a guy has to think down, up, left, right, pull, oppo, stand on your head. If you're getting results, it doesn't matter. You just got to understand what are the best results. What are the best results? Like, that's the biggest thing coaches need to understand, players need to understand. Like, if you're hitting oppo ground balls in batting practice, but you're hitting nukes in the game, like, keep doing what you're doing. If you're hitting oppo ground balls in batting practice and you're hitting oppo ground balls in games <laughs> and you're batting 120, okay, you're not doing tough right. What all those other guys are doing that you want to create, you're not doing. Like, it's all about results. What are the results that you're getting, and how do you get better results? So, know what so, I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, for opposite field hitting, though both those guys hit the ball out in front of the plate. So, as coaches, should we be teaching hit, the, hit everything out front? Okay, so think about what I just said. Do you think that every player should, should think out front? Probably, well, probably not because it's probably not. It's different for everybody. Different for everybody, right? There are guys that need to think to stay back to get out in front. There are guys that need to think to get out front to get out front. Like it's different for everybody. That's the that's the trick of this whole thing. Like it's there, there is no one way, dude. The sooner everybody gets to the point where they realize that. You know, I have 20 different hitters or 100 different hitters or whatever, and every one of these guys, I got to figure out how to make them the best individual version of themselves. And we got to dig deep, and we got to figure it out. And and here's what I can do to, you know, to, to provide that guy with that right environment for growth, right? Like, if you're not a swing technician, like, give them uh, variables, give them external goals, give them challenges, like, you know, let them self-organize. If you're not a swing technician and you're a coach, that's okay. You don't have to be a swing technician, man. But allow them to self-organize better. Allow them to create real results. Allow them to compete with one another to see who can hit 10 balls into the right field gap uh, out of 10 swings. And uh, allow them to see who can hit the hardest exit velocity of practice and who can hit the ball the farthest and use weighted bats and underweighted bats. I do recommend using underweight for stiffer movers and overweight for, uh, or overweight for looser movers and underweight for stiffer movers it makes a tremendous difference. Uh, again, I like underload overload, but we don't use them as variability. I like them for variability, but, uh, I think we use them more like that, uh, after guys have good patterns already. But if you're trying to create better swings, stiff guys, light bats, loose guys, heavy bats. Um, but, yeah, 
you know, let them, let them do all those things like challenge them competition, like let them have fun. Like the reason we're losing kids in baseball right now is because of the traditional nature of the game. And that coaches don't let play like guys don't like going to practice. If you let guys hit nukes at practice, they're going to want to go more. If you let them compete at practice, they're going to want to go more. If you let them self-organize better, they're going to want to go more. If you stop uh, yelling at them for things that are incorrect, they're going to want to go more. Like uh, coaches and, and, and players and everybody needs to realize, like players need to realize that every coach has a ton of information. Their experience is invaluable. And the players need to pull that information from them and try to understand where they're coming from. Because there are some guys out there that are thinking, oh, my coach is stupid. He's telling me to swing down to the ball. But that kid is swinging. He's hitting balls 75 and 55. And he's got awful results. And he's sitting around laughing about his stupid coach. But if he would listen to his coach and try to be more down and direct, he'd probably put up better results right now. You know, but, but then on the flip side, like coaches need to realize that, look, man, like, we don't know everything. None of us do. This is not an attack on you as a uh, – you're not wrong. Nobody's wrong. This is not an attack on your former coaches who you respect. This doesn't discredit your own baseball knowledge. Like, you know, you're a human being. You're not perfect. Uh, you don't know everything. Nobody does. Your skills are not becoming obsolete. You know, you have value. Uh, but if you're not willing to grow and learn, then don't stand in the way of other players, uh, you know, of a player's growth. Right. Like and, and there's a thing called Cantor's law and it states that, you know, everything can feel like failure in the middle, you know, like so sometimes like you see that like right now we're in a transition period in the game and, you know, coaches see guys like trying to swing up and they're not doing it right. So like, oh, that stuff is nonsense. Right. Uh, it's not nonsense. You just need to learn how to guide them a little bit better through it. You know, great leaders should acknowledge the, the hard work of change. And, and want to embrace it to be the example their players need of, of what a man is supposed to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they, that, that is really, really important. It's really important. So, uh, you know, like coaches need to get over some of that stuff and realize that, like, uh, if they just put a little effort into understanding it, that they're not wrong. It's a combination of everything. You know, it's all right. You know, like, and, and all you all you need to do is just continue to try to put more information in your toolbox so you can help make all those guys better. Yeah, and I think, you know, being on social media and kind of just, you know, watching what you put out, and I'll give a, kind of a funny example. You know, you do a lot of PVC pipe stuff, and I coach for at a high school JV team. I'm the only coach on the team, and so I thought, you know, it's like, wow, you know, this, some of these drills look awesome. Let's start, you know, incorporating them. And, you know, had this vision of, you know, everyone's going to, you know, look really good. They, I, I think I explained it wrong. It ended up looking terrible. Like it ended up, and that's, that's the funny thing about like coaching is you have to, like you kind of said before, it's different for each guy. Like you can't, I, I've tried to like mold certain guys, so like kind of, you know, like maybe like a stretch mover or something like that. And I guess realizing as of late that everyone's different and everyone moves a little bit differently so i i just you know there's it's detrimental to make them all move the same way so i'm kind of glad you brought that yeah, point up completely completely detrimental absolutely 100 percent completely detrimental there is no cutting cookies it doesn't exist uh that one swing that one formula whatever get it out of your head like anybody and i'm not saying you i'm saying just anybody in general because 
it doesn't work like that. And uh, hitting doesn't work like that. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways for players to skin the cat. There's a lot of different ways to learn it. Um, you know, so just providing them with ways to get better with an open-minded approach that also uh, is fun and providing them with a great environment for, for growth and allowing them to explore. Like, how are we going to, how are we going to raise young men and future leaders that are afraid to fail and afraid to take chances? You know, like a kid wants to play college baseball desperately as a junior, he hit, you know, three Oh five, but they were all singles and he's a catcher and he doesn't run well and he doesn't have any college offers. And, you know, that kid goes and, you know, puts on 15 miles an hour exit velocity. And, you know, he's, he's really altered his whole swing and his thought and sure, He's striking out a little bit more, but he's producing better results. And, and you're scared for him that, you know, you're not scared for him. You're scared for your team. You're scared for your team that, you know, you're losing your guy who hit 300 and yada, yada, yada. Like, what about that kid? This isn't about you. But, like, we, co- we need to, as coaches, like, eliminate ourselves from the situation. This isn't about us. This is a service industry. The reason that we are coaches is because we had coaches that inspired us. We had coaches that taught us to love the game, which made us love it so much. Like, that's why we do what we do. That's why none of us make any money. Like, that's why, that's why we do what we do, because we love it, because we're obsessed with it. It's a part of who we are. Um, you know, so how are we going to teach players that, you know, what you want out of your life, what you want out of your career, what you want out of trying to get better? Like, don't do that, because that's worthless. Like, you were fine as is. You need to just stay what you were, because that's just being scared for, for yourself. You know, and like, like guys have to, guys have to get over that, man. It's not, it's not about us. It's about them. Uh, and it's about, you know, um, allowing them players have to feel comfortable and more comfortable, uh, with, uh, exploring, uh, change and growth and embracing it and, and, you know, going in full tilt, you know, rather than playing scared. No, I I love how you kind of brought up, you know, this is about the players. And, and I had a little similar experience um, about a week ago. We had one of the kids on our team was, you know, struggling a little bit. And it was a, it was a close game. It's, you know, one nothing in the fifth inning. And, and uh, he, I usually hit him in the bottom of the lineup. And he, you know, I was like, you know, did you give him a swing? You know, hey, you're swinging away here, you know. And he was like, well, aren't we going to bunt? You know, he even like like whispered or kind of like mouthed the words. I'm like, no, dude, swing. Next pitch, bomb. I mean, like the wind was blown out 25 miles an hour, like to left field. Like he was so excited he missed second base as he was rounding the bases. And it was just such a cool moment that I could have I could have taken it away from him if I would have made him bunt. Dude, that stories like that, like that makes that makes my heart beat fast, man. Like that that's what needs to happen. That's what needs to happen. Like allowing like what you gave that kid in that moment, like he has that now with him. That that's gonna inspire and lead to more moments like that. Right? Like you guy guys are afraid to swing. Guys are afraid to swing. They're afraid to try to do damage, you know, like they're, it's, uh, it's bad, man. And, and coaches are afraid to let them, you know, a lot of coaches are afraid to let them like, um, it's, it's crazy, you know? And, and here's another interesting thing too. And it leads into like 
understanding like the statistics of it all. Okay. So as far as I'm concerned, outs are outs. Okay. I'm a coach first. I'm a baseball guy. I'm not, I'm in a cage right now. Like I'm at, I'm at the two facilities. I'm inside the shop. Right. Um, but I'm only here because I feel like I need to be here. Uh, I'm a coach. I'm an on-field guy. I've coached college summer ball in the past. Like I, I love being on the field. I want to, that's where I want to finish. Like I want to be on a college baseball field eventually purest form of the game. Like uh, I'm a coach. I believe in productive outs. I believe in bunting. I believe in hit and runs. I believe in doing anything that our team needs to do to win because that's the objective of the game is to win, but to win, you got to score more runs than the other team. And when you look at run production, okay. Outs are outs. We're not talking about productive outs. We're not talking about moving a runner over. Let's just eliminate that from the discussion. Let's just talk about outs. Okay. A ground ball out is an out. A fly ball out is an out. And a strikeout, you're out. They all put you back on the bench. Okay. There are some hitters, 100% guaranteed, and I'm going to give you two examples, that need to strike out more to be better hitters. Okay, we have a player that trains with us, professional guy. He was an NAIA guy, undrafted. Okay, great hit tool, great hit tool. Ends up uh, getting signed playing indie ball. Okay, goes to the frontier, and he hit 289, one bomb, like no strikeouts, like no strikeouts, never struck out, great barrel of ball skills. Came to us in the off season. Uh, Went back, hit 289 again, hit nine bombs, struck out more. But production numbers went up, which means he was more valuable to his team. Then he came back again. He was here for a month. Then he went to go play in Mexico. This dude was like the Mike Trout of the Mexican Winter League. In 60 games, he had 16 bombs, had 68 RBIs, like 20 doubles. Like, that dude was just a machine. Like, everything but guess what he also led the league in strikeouts he struck out at the highest clip he ever had in his entire career and his batting average went up then he got signed to play in the big leagues in mexico he's playing triple a baseball so this kid's been jumping levels literally every season okay last year he was the rookie of the year he was like at 24 uh he was like in the top 10 in the whole league in rbis Okay. He was like the youngest guy on his team. Rookie of the year. But guess what? He also led his team in strikeouts. Guess what? That dude hit over 310. The highest batting average he's ever had at the highest level of competition he's ever had. Okay, Most RBIs he's ever had. Most home run. Like Everything he did was the best ever. But he also had the most strikeouts he ever had. Like There are guys that need to use their hit tool to do damage more, right? And by striking out more and being more aggressive like that, they end up, I, they're, they're right now, they're swinging and missing at pitches they normally would have made weak contact on, right? Or hit ground balls on. But then they're getting another opportunity to swing again. And they're hitting a bomb. Like, that's important. Look at Ozzy Smith. That's the other guy I was going to bring up. One of the kids at our shop, I swear to God, he's going to be a GM someday. Uh, if somehow a GM ever listened to this, this kid, you know, 
he's going to either MIT or Amherst. Like he's a 4.8. Uh, the kid's a little genius. He talks stats all the time. He's putting together a research project right now, looking at stuff. Um, we always talk about like all different types of things. Like he always comes up with amazing stuff. And, you know, one of them was overrated and underrated Hall of Famers. Okay. And we're talking about Ozzie Smith. Ozzie Smith is greatest defensive player probably of all time. And definitely one of, if not the best, right? His defensive war is, you know, is just war through the charts, like off the charts. So when you look at Ozzie Smith's numbers, I'm going to pull them up on a computer in front of me right now. And it's really pretty amazing. Okay. So I'm on baseball reference right now. And I'm going to give you his run scored totals for a few different years. 67, 53, 58, 53, 70, 67, 61, right? 51, okay? His RBI totals, 27, 35, 21, 50, 44, 51, 50, 50, 50, 31. There are years that this dude is responsible for less than, for, for creating less than 100 runs. Less than 100 runs. The object of the game is to score more runs than the other team. If you're explaining baseball to a two-year-old, that's the object of the game. Okay? That's it. Plain and simple. Okay? The more runs you help create, the more valuable you are. You know what his strikeout totals were? In 600 plate appearances, 626, 615, 669, 664. You know how many times that dude's striking out against major league pitching? 33. Whoa. 18. 12. 26. 27. 17. 36. 32. And his batting average, 248, 257, 254. Right? Awful. He never struck out. The guy always made contact, but he always created outs because he, he didn't swing. He didn't swing. He had great hand-eye coordination. Had he tried to do damage more, would you prefer him as is, or would you prefer him with 140 strikeouts a year, 75 RBIs, and 75 runs scored every year? You know what I mean? 100%. Like, it, we, we need to stop, like demonizing the strikeout if the results are there to back it up and Bryce Harper uh, Bryce Harper struck out more than any other player on his team in Juco and he had over 400 (laughs) that's what I'm talking about that's what I'm talking about let's look at real statistics let's look at stuff that matters right let's stop you know yelling things like mechanics at guys from the dugout you know, let's let's allow them to, you know, to fail. Look, as, as coaches, we're all failed baseball players. All of us. I don't know too many guys that are Hall of Famers that are coaching right now. Okay? And a lot of those guys even don't necessarily know what they did. They got a lot of information, and we got to find ways to, you know, pull it out of them and, you know, ask questions because they know. They just, you know, don't know if that makes sense. Um, but – when, when, when you look at hitting and the difficulty level of it, right, if guys are scared about striking out or the only thing that matters is making contact or, you know, they're afraid to take chances at the plate, you're never going to get the best out of them. 
you know, players are never going to get the best out of themselves. You know, the, the dangerous man, the guy that you don't want to fight is the guy with nothing to lose. Right. The guy that just keeps on coming, the guy that has no zero fear whatsoever. Guy with the crazy look in his eye. That's, that's how you become an elite hitter. Like that's a huge part of it, man. You, you have to, you have to be up there and you have to allow yourself to swing and play with freedom and, you know, intuition and, you know, guys are going to fail. Okay. When you look at Freddie Freeman's spray chart, you look at JD Martinez's spray chart, all those pull side ground balls. Okay. People need to realize that that's over two years. It's like 1,200 at-bats. There are games where he probably has four full-side ground balls, okay? If that happens to a young player, he thinks he's doing something wrong. But what if he kept doing the same exact thing and the next game he had two fly balls oppo, a line drive pull, and a home run pull? Like, you can't be judged or judge off of small sample sizes in this game. You can't live at-bat to at-bat. You have to look at the numbers overall to see what's really, really happening. Um, somebody posted something the other day that was really that was a great way to look at it. Um, player A and player B. Uh, and player A was one for four, one for four, one for four, one for four, all the way down the line. Player B was 0 for 4, 0 for 4, 0 for 4, all the way down the line. And then 4 for 4, 4 for 4. At the end of the day, they're both hitting 250. At the end of the day, they're both hitting 250. Um, I'd probably be willing to bet that the guy that had the two four for fours uh, in those, you know, games produced more, you know, RBIs and runs scored and all that other stuff. And, you know, great hitters. I mean, Stanton is going to finish off this season uh, with pretty good numbers, I would imagine. Right? Like, he's going to figure it out. Mike Trout has had seasons where he started off hitting, you know, buck 74 for the first month and a half. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper's had the same thing. Like it, uh, but you don't just necessarily change everything. You know, I mean, are there things you need to do differently? Yes, but you need to understand what they are instead of going down the wrong paths in those moments. You know, you, you can't just judge everything based on a, you know, a small sample size, you know, player starts out as his high school season and, or his college season or whatever. And, you know, the first two weekends, not doing good. And he wants to throw himself off a bridge. Like you can't hit like that. Can't hit like that. Like you need in that moment, you need positivity. You need the opposite of hitting a lot of it. You know, a lot of it, there's a huge confidence factor, you know, and, and, you know, if you're in a negative environment, if your brain is in a bad place, you can't accurately assess things and, and make good decisions with what you need to be doing differently. And it can have a really bad, you know, downward spiraling effect, which is why a lot of good thinkers uh, tend to make it more difficult for themselves as hitters. And a lot of good hitters are not that bright or just don't care, you know, because when they go up there, all that disappears and they're just hitting, you know, so the only one, the only one I could think of who who does think a lot is Joey Votto. The only one who does what? 
who who thinks a lot when he gets up to the plate. Like he, if you like talk to him about his what he what he's doing at the plate, he can give a huge explanation of like every single little thing he's thinking about when he's like at, at during that. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's plenty of guys like that too. But like a lot of that stuff is approach related, and there's still a lot of confidence involved. And that's the missing factor from, you know, from those other guys, you know, those other guys start pressing and, you know, we all know that pressing is never good. And, uh, you know, you just, when guys think they're doing really good, that's when you tell them they're not doing that good and you got to push them. And, you know, when guys are not doing good, uh, that's when you got to tell them they're fine. You know, baseball has so many games of opposites, like, you know, you got to think to go oppo to pull. You got to think down to swing up. Uh, you know, you have to think to, you know, when you're going forward to stay back. Um, you know, there's there's so many. You know, uh, Barry Bonds, uh, one of our one of the pro guys we work with, was at the Marlins, and um, you know, had to got the opportunity to hit with Bonds quite a few times. And one of Bonds' biggest things was putting pressure into the ground, like with his front foot. Like he wanted to make sure he drove into the ground with his front foot. And he's one of the biggest examples of a back leg guy uh, ever and probably the best version of it ever. And, you know, it makes sense because if he thought about his backside, he probably got stuck. I mean, he needed to think about his front side to get him landed, you know, in a position to hit, um, you know, so you just, man, every, everybody needs something different and understanding that stuff. Another thing that helps a lot, um, pulling the ball to the opposite field something we talk about a lot here, you know, I love that um, off speed pitches, outside pitches, off speed pitches, they get hit out in front and, you know, great hitters are not guiding the ball to the opposite field. Like we see young players doing, you know, going back to that whole developmental DNA thing, um, you know, guys when they're young that are just naturally, you know, getting to like, those guys are turning their barrels really, really fast. And, you know, we think to ourselves, yeah, but on the off speed pitch, he's out front. But, yeah, that's because he's staying back. He's literally out front because he's staying back. He's stuck in his back, and he's turning his barrel fast, just like he would on a regular swing on a fastball or on an inside pitch. And the barrel is a, is a pendulum. And if you're capturing energy well, that pendulum has a point where it's going to go towards the ball and a point where it's going to take a, a left turn. You know, uh, and, and when it takes that left turn, uh, if you're staying back on a pitch that's moving slower – uh, you're around the ball, you're end capping the ball, you're out front of the ball, you know? And a lot of times your brain wants to go to the ball. Uh, your eyes want to go to the ball. Your barrel wants to go to the ball, but you're so busy trying to stay back. You end up, you know, flailing at the ball instead of really going after it. And when you go on baseball savant, you look at balls that are, you know, there's damage being done to the opposite field or to center field. Um, those guys are not guiding the ball there. You know, they're, they're going to get the ball with a, with a little lateral tilt adjustment and their shoulders are moving forward towards the ball and it's taking the energy and the pendulum of the barrel farther forward. It's putting them on time. It's taking the spread of the effective velocity out less, right? Like when you look at the Little League World Series and it says that a pitch comes in at 75 and it's the MLB equivalent of 97 or whatever it is, the reason is because the perceived velocity is really high. And the reason is because it's a shorter distance. If you let your body adjust out front to the ball better, you're speeding up the ball. 
you're taking your barrel to the ball. The key is just doing it with your upper body and, and hitting against a really good, you know, firm front side in your base, you know, with good posture. Um, uh, you, you got to you know, pulling the ball to the opposite field. Like, and this is not a high school thing. This is not a college thing. This is not a pro thing. I got a 12 year old, you know, that's a smaller guy on his team. He plays a really high level of travel baseball. He's always a base hit guy. Uh, started with us like, you know, about five months ago. And the kid is just, it took him a couple of months to figure it out. There was a lot of failure in the beginning, but, uh, you know, his, his you know, dad was fully comfortable with it. We told him what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, like he, he is just everybody. We've gotten phone call after phone call from other people uh, on his team and on other teams because he's the smallest guy on the field and he's hitting doubles every game all over the place. And, you know, like uh, because of that, he was getting more stuff on the outside part of the plate and then he started to struggle again. And as soon as we talked about pulling the ball up, like he came in the other day with a huge smile on his face because he went two for three with two doubles that weekend and he showed me videos of him pulling the ball to the opposite field. He wasn't guiding it there. He was turning his barrel, you know, and, and it two oppo doubles, you know. So um, the pull the ball to the opposite field thing is a great cue uh, for, for guys. And here's the thing, like people talk about, you know, cues and verbal cues not being valuable and eyewash. Verbal cues are extremely valuable and they are 100% absolutely not eyewash, but there's been a tremendous disconnect for a really long time on what do you actually mean? Like players and human beings interpret information in a multitude of ways. You can, you can say the same thing, like watch tomorrow at practice, you're a high school coach. Tell five guys to show you a leg kick. They're going to show you five different leg kicks, at different heights. Tell five guys to get their hands back. One guy's going to turn his shoulders one guy's going to push his hands all the way back. One guy's going to do both. Like, it's how we interpret information. And if there's a shared understanding with the player of the information and of what you mean, and they understand what they're trying to accomplish, then the verbal cue can become extremely valuable because they know what the hell you're talking about. You okay, know? I, I got a like, question for you. Um, so one of the kids on, on my team right now, very uh, robotic, very robotic. Uh, you can tell he's, he's, you know, he he wants he wants it, but he's so robotic. And I remember I I I was like, dude, I remember being in your spot. I remember feeling, you know, all stiff and you know nervous and everything. Like you're like you're gonna play. Like I I write the lineup. You're gonna play. Like I want you to go up there and do something crazy to like mess with your brain because you're so used to like not doing anything at all. And I showed him that odor. That he had that really high leg kick the other day when he was messing with some pitcher. I don't know if you saw that or not. I'm like, dude, like, do a leg kick above your head. Like, I don't care. Like, whatever you got to do, but like, try to like get out of your comfort zone. I don't know if that was the best piece of advice for him, but it's just I'm just trying to get some of these kids to like not be robotic because I feel like that's what they've been taught. Yeah. So here's the thing. I was like that too. Um, he's probably a thinker. He's probably got good grades. He is. He and is. He's probably Both a, of those. Yep. And he's probably a really good kid yep. that works really hard to do every single thing you tell him to do exactly the way you want him to do it. Like, that's who he is. Yep. That's how a lot of that stuff gets created. You know, like players interpret information and they try to do exactly that. And that's exactly what they're doing. And they're doing it wrong. They're executing it in the wrong way. 
Um, so he needs some freedom. He needs to get freed up. He needs to allow the athleticism to play. Um, but the way you would go about doing that. So like whether we're trying to get somebody comfortable taking a bigger cut or trying to get somebody comfortable with, you know, altering a swing pattern. Uh, the reason that people have trouble with transferability is, you know, because maybe he's doing it in BP, but he just won't do it in the game. Um, the reason is because every time you add a new variable, you're increasing the degree of difficulty. Okay. Uh, when you informed him of what you wanted him to do differently, uh, he, he became in a state of, of conscious incompetence. He, he's aware now that he doesn't know what he's trying to do and he wants to do it differently, but he needs to get to a stage of conscious or unconscious competence to where he doesn't have to think about it and he can just do it. And for some guys, especially the thinkers, that can be a really uh, tough road to navigate. And uh, whether it's a thought, a feel, a drill, uh, a swing pattern, like no matter what it is, you have to get them to transfer those things uh, through staged variability. So like getting them to do it with a PVC pipe first, right? They'll, they'll tend to do it the best. And if you tell them to close their eyes and get their A swing off, you'll see amazing things happen um, because the ball is no longer involved. Um, then you look at the second variable as a T. Now you're adding in a ball and a bat and, a, you know, there's an objective to make contact. For some guys, that screws everything up. Other guys, they can do it. Then you go to toss. Then you go to BP. Then you go to, you know, the biggest, a huge key for a guy that can't do it in BP or for, they can do it in BP, but he can't do it in a game, right? Live controlled at bats where the results don't matter. It's a huge stepping stone. Have a guy get on the mound and throw fastball only bullpen. You know, let him, let, let him show it. I'm throwing a fastball right here. You know it's coming. Uh, hitter knows, pitcher knows, right? It's good for the pitchers, too, because uh, they understand numbers differently because they can tell guys they're throwing fastballs, throw them all over the plate, and they'll still realize they're not getting, you know, smashed. Um, but if you put that kid in that environment where it's controlled and it's not a game, he's going to be more likely to allow his body to organize like that and do it. Um, so that, that's a, another really good stepping stone in that process. Plus you'll get him 30 swings at a live pitcher with fastballs only. Uh, and a lot of hitting has to do with anticipation and anticipatory skill. Like when you look at science, hitting is not even supposed to be possible. Um, but that's because they're not accounting for the fact that the brain is anticipating different things based on previous experience. So, um, get him to do that. I would encourage like having him do drills, like walk-ups, you know, where he's just, you know, like letting it, cutting it loose and free and easy and not thinking about things. And, um, you know, all, all of those things can, can help, but the live controlled stuff like that, that'll free him up. So me, me going and telling him that I don't, I, he can experiment and fail and, and do whatever he want, you know, all that, that freedom, like me t- telling him that verbally, that won't really help at all. Uh, I wouldn't say that either. Remember what I said earlier. There's probably a guy on your team or a guy on every team that if you just told them that, you'd automatically get better results. Right. Right. But not everybody. 
Um, the other thing I kind of wanted to ask ask about was, you know, a lot of guys, uh, they, they like, I guess you could say that you would call it, you know, lunging at the ball. They're jumping at the ball. And they're way, their upper body's way, way, way on their front side. Um, I don't know if you see that um, where you're at a lot, but um, I have one of those, like, power Yeah, courses. I see it a ton. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, I see it a ton. Um, a lot of it has to do with the culture of the game at the moment and just the progression of information. So as the baseball community started to accept that, you know, people don't squash bugs um, and that, you know, the back foot can come off the ground. Um, it's my opinion that uh, people, when they see, they see leg kicks and they see the back foot coming off the ground and they see the great hitters are doing that, uh, so then they start to do it, but they're doing it wrong. Um, they're pushing themselves forward. Uh, when in reality, uh, the back foot, if it does come off the ground, a lot of times is going backwards behind them. They're kicking back. And if it's not kicking back, but it's coming off the ground, uh, it's a result of how much force they're creating and how much they're actually trying to hold the floor. Energy starts from the ground. It starts from the floor. You have to engage the floor really, really well. And, you know, like if you just try to go forward and allow your back leg to just, you just give it up, um, you lose your backside, you lose exit velocity, you lose barrel control, you lose timing. You know, that's why stay back. Like some guys need to think to go get it more because they're stuck on their backside. But other guys need to stay, think, stay back, hold on to the ground. Don't just give it up. Don't just give it up freely. Right, it's an anchor point. It's an anchor point. If you watch the evolution of Bryce Harper's swing, he's one of the guys that you know, like he's the model for the back foot coming off the ground. Like he came up and you know he took a huge donkey leg kick, man, going way forward into the ball. He did it really well, but you know he's trying to do all this stuff, and he you know it helped create who he was as a player uh, for sure, and it was good for a time. But as he's evolving as a hitter. Remember in the beginning of the conversation, I talked about the, con- the conservation of, of energy and, and the creation of, of better patterns and efficiencies. Yep. Bryce Harper is becoming more and more efficient on a regular basis every year. His back foot is no longer coming, you know, you know, foot forward and, and, you know, foot off the ground. Like he's trying, he's actively holding the ground. There's a swing that he took last year that I have, uh, on the savant videos that anybody could find. Um, and he is hitting a, I think it's a fastball, uh, down and down the middle and his back heel literally like folds back into the ground, into contact. Like his back foot is fully engaged into the ground and it is, uh, you know, sideways, almost like his ankle is like pressing into the dirt. Uh, much like what you see from George Springer. Um, and when you start to look at a lot of Harper's swings now, you see it more and more and more and more, right? It's controlling him and it's controlling his, his bat head. It's creating better, you know, connection early. Uh, his hips are stopping faster. So his upper body is coming through faster. Like it's a more, it's a better conservation of energy and it's also a, a, a better swing. It's a, it's a faster swing. Um, which is why you're seeing his results continually get better. I mean, there's a direct correlation between the two. 
So, you know, like I think that has a lot to do with it, you know. And then also I wanted to kind of also bring up, um, speaking of not just Bryce Harper, but another another star, uh, you know, Aaron Judge. And I don't know if you saw the article. I know Chad Longworth wrote an article about the, you know, his pelvis, he's the deceleration of the pelvis and how his pelvis isn't able to really stop because of his front leg stability. I don't know if you saw that or not or what your thoughts are on Judge. Yeah, so I didn't see uh, Longworth's article on that, but, you know, that goes back exactly to what I'm talking about. So if you look at the kinetic chain and how – so traditionally in baseball, one of the issues is that, you know, you have guys that are uh, studying baseball, uh, but they're all lab coats. You know, they have theoretical knowledge, but no real experiential knowledge. You know, they're, uh, you know there's not too many baseball uh, guys that – you know, are, are doing like actual research, which is why the game is so far behind in comparison to, you know, like golf. And when you look at, uh, you know, research, like you talk about kinetic chain and it says, okay, well, you know, the bones, right. We measure the bones because they're, you know, they're stable structures. You can measure them and, you know, the hips open and then the trunk goes, then the hands go. Uh, but what moves the bones through space is the musculature and what helps move the musculature through space is the fascia. And, you know, when, when you start to accelerate one piece of the kinetic chain, the following piece cannot begin to accelerate until the prior piece has begun to decelerate. Okay. So when you, if you had like uh, two levers and one had a hinge between the two, okay. Uh, and you took that lever, and I have a really good example of it that I'm going to post a video of probably tomorrow. Um, but if you took the one lever and you just turned it in a circle, just from one from one center point, you took it and you just turned it as fast as you could, the other levers would drag through. It would come through, but it would drag through, and it would get pulled around. It would get pulled around, right? It wouldn't drive energy through like in a forward motion. If you take that first lever and you accelerate it fast, but then you stop it, you stop it right away. The other lever is going to pick up the energy and come forward faster on the hinge. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Right. So you have to decelerate before you can accelerate. Okay. So a lot of great players, and this is another interesting thing, man, again, going back to bridging the gap between the old and the new and the research. So years ago, I was super hung up on, you know, open front foot on landing because I was reading research and the hips have to open and the front foot is connected and the front foot has to open up so the hips can open up and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. Well, you know, you have a lot of coaches, a lot of, you know, more old school guys are like, nope, front foot has to land closed. Front foot has to land closed. Got to land closed. And that was like, no, that makes no sense, man. makes no sense. Uh, But when you really look at it, um, a lot of guys land closed. More guys land more degrees of closed than open. And not only that, um, if you look through like Dustin Lin's Google Drive, uh, which if you don't have it already, you have to get it. Anybody listening has to get it. Like it's one of the best resources for, uh, you know, swing gifts and looking at hitters that, you know, that's in existence. And when you look at that drive, there's a Hall of Fame section of it, okay? And in that Hall of Fame section of the drive, when you go through it, man, um, 
you know, <laughs> uh, I would venture to say like 80% of the guys either. And when I say closed now, before I was talking about the angle of the front foot. Now I'm talking about like the angle of the feet, like the back foot to the front foot. Uh, I would say something like 80% of the guys in that drive and in the hall of fame either started closed off angled closed like Stanton, uh, stepped closed, uh, or kicked back. So ultimately when they got the contact, their feet were angled closed, not open, closed. So what that gives a player is space. It gives them space to work behind the ball. It gives them freedom. It also allows a stiffer mover so a lot of people are talking about the back hip right now and getting into your back hip. And I hate that terminology because it's so random and there is no like measure, like guys get into their back hip to all different degrees and it has nothing to do with the hip. And a lot of the guys focusing on getting into their back hip are getting stuck because they're stiffer movers with less internal rotation on their back leg and as a result of that, uh, they are basically joints need to load to unload. And if you start in a loaded position with a joint on a stiff mover like that, uh, he's already at end range of motion. So it's hard for him to produce force. So a lot of the guys focusing on the back hip are stuck, right? And guys that are stuck or guys that are stiffer, when you angle a little closed, it opens up the, the range of motion in your back hip. It gives you more freedom to work deep behind the ball. And it also allows you to get to a powerful end range of motion faster because your hips can excel and decel faster. Your front leg can brace better and you can create more bat head speed direct into impact. So, you know, like a, a lot of hitters, like we don't see it anymore. Like you see it from Stanton. Now, the more you look, you'll see guys starting to explore it, but we should see it everywhere. We should see it everywhere. More guys should be doing it. Speaking of getting into the back hip, um, I I do when I follow you guys, I've seen uh, a couple times where you have some guys go no stride, and I'm curious as to what you are having them work on. Great question. So I am not a believer in anything cookie cutter, but I would say that every single player in our program, uh, every guy that we work with for the most part. Uh, we want them to learn how to capture energy from the time their front foot lands, because that's when the swing really starts. So um, it's easier to learn positions than it is movements to get into positions. And once you learn how to feel the movements from those positions, it's easier to replicate them and execute because you can feel it. Okay. So whether a guy is angled, closed, angled, open, front foot, closed, back foot, uh, open, front foot, open, uh, hand positioning, barrel angle, like I, I don't, not everybody's the same there. Everybody has a different position on landing, but, you know, we're looking for guys to, you know, have a good center of mass. Uh, we're looking for them to capture energy efficiently through their turn and, and feel what that's like how they get there after that don't care. Now it definitely can have an effect like your, your pre launch or pre landing moves can absolutely provide for 
uh, good and bad swings and good and bad patterns and anything that enhances that pattern and makes the swing better. Like if you have a guy that gets uh, stuck coming in uh, because his back elbow is up and he ends up getting pushy uh, and his, his hands work too direct to the ball and he can't slot his elbow or slot his barrel. Uh, if you give that guy a bat tip, um, the elbow coming up as the tip comes down when they start their swing that forces the elbow to come down automatically and the bat to go in the opposite direction. So it allows the barrel to kind of get in. You give yourself space to work with the elbow clearing. So like adding that in to that particular guy can certainly help, but anything that makes this pattern better from launch, in my opinion, is really good. And anything that makes it bad is bad. Um, You know, so I, I look at the swing, I view it as capturing energy from from you know the time you land if you want to kind of like have a swing overall as a player would you say you need to put the bat down and just do pvc pipe work for a significant time period first uh i would say that it depends um you know because you're one of the things that i'm big on is the fact that we, as coaches, and, you know, it's, uh, you have a hard time because we, we kind of have a tendency. There was something else I saw last night that I'll, you know, uh, that I'll read. I'll pull it up right now because uh, it's a really great way to understand it. Is it just like how the body works type of thing? No. Uh, it's more... It's more out. I'm trying to pull it up um, to find it. It's more how um, scientists and human beings we no matter no matter what and or how we'd like things um, to be, we have a tendency to you know get caught up in an autonomous stage. Um, you know, like everybody has and deals with, you know, with that, um, you know, and, and becoming autonomous, even though we, we don't want to be, um, you know, problem solvers often lose sight of, of the initial problem. And we don't, we don't want to, as a coach and as a, like, you don't want to force what you're trying to teach on the player. You have to figure out what it is that they individually need. And there are some guys that initially need a better environment. They need to try to, even though their swing is not ideal right now, uh, allowing them to explore and hunt for some exit below and, you know, can be a very, very good thing and giving them a little basic variability and a little change of position and, you know, can be really, really valuable and it can be a part of what they need. Um, I would say working with a professional player overhauling the swing, my answer would be 100% without a doubt. Um, because using the utilizing PVC pipes, and it's not just PVCs, uh, it's, PVC pipes for me are like the plyo care balls of, of hitting. Like they allow you to remap your swing because it's allowing your brain to alter your perception of the movement. When you have a bat in your hands and you're trying to hit a ball, you know, everything goes to crap because you're trying to hit the ball, so you can't focus on the movement. 
Um, so, and there's a lot of different things, even using mid balls, using bands, like just understanding the movements that are, um, is, is really important because you can't chase mechanics. Mechanics are nonsense. You have to chase feelings, right? It's not about positions in the swing. It's about how we move through positions in the swing. Okay. Uh, I don't think I've ever done an evaluation where a point of contact, you couldn't take a picture of little Johnny and say, Oh, look, he looks just like Albert Pools. Uh, but in reality, how he got there was awful. His bat speed, his, his uh, you know, connection, his uh, success rate is bad. Like, you know, the kid isn't a good hitter right now, but he looks like pools of contact, but he got there for them. So it all has to do with movement and how our body moves our barrel through space. And, you know, it tends to be learned better with uh, eliminating the bat first. So if you're altering a swing like an overhauling a pattern of an elite that's all in and you can do whatever you want. Um, yeah, I would say it's a huge part of it and, and very important that you focus on learning new movements first. Uh, because if you focus on uh, executing with a, with a bat and a ball first, uh, you're going to have an extremely high uh, failure rate for alteration. And the struggles of that might make the individual not uh, mentally capable or wanting to... Uh, uh, maneuver himself the way you want him to move. Does that make sense? No, that that makes sense. And and I also kind of wanted to to ask about. You seem like you you just you don't just know a lot about the swing, but know how a lot about the body and how it works. And so essentially, what I'm, I'm when I talked to Rick uh, Strickland, he said he believes everyone should be. Uh, TPI certified, just so, just so they know they have the basics of understanding of how the body works. Um, what recommendations do you have for like hitting coaches out there? Is there certain things that they need to read or like study first before they help hitters? Or you get kind of the question I kind of have. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. So TPI, I think, is uh, a tremendous, a tremendous resource. Uh, you know. Uh, we're actually, we're working on a couple things over here, uh, as far as assessments and screening that, uh, you know, I think are going to provide the baseball community with some, some tremendous value moving forward. Um, you know, I would say as a, it's a pet, like as a, as a hitting coach, as a team hitting coach, as a private instructor, I would say my answers would probably be different. Uh, I would say Dustin Lynn's Google drive. Uh, using baseball savant and fan graphs data and exploring for yourself. Um, you know, like there's no substitute for looking into the information on your own, uh, just like there's no substitute for, you know, like a young learner, uh, you know, like a, in, a, in a young kid environment, right? Like if you're coaching a 8 and 10 U team, like they should be, you know, trying to hit the ball as far as they can, as hard as they can to – different targets and be challenged and, you know, doing wiffle ball PVC pipes and, and, you know, tons of different stuff like that, making it fun and challenging and, you know, allowing them to self-organize in the best way, because the truth is young kids, you know, self-organize way better than, than older guys whose brains are in a different uh, state of plasticity. So, you know, young movers, their, their brain is in a very uh, a plastic state, which means they're able to do a lot of different things very easily. Uh, if you go out and watch a, you know, a 70 baseball game or a 60 baseball game and you look at the kids who really are good hitters, uh, their swings are generally better than the 16-year-olds that walk through here, um, you know, and even pro guys, 
you know, they, they just, they move better. They're not, uh, their information hasn't clouded their, hasn't clouded their mind or their judgment yet. Um, so they're just moving in a natural way that kind of makes sense. Um, so I would say, you know, also dynamics of skill acquisition, um, you know, that's a, a constraint thought approach, uh, nonlinear pedagogy. Uh, those are great for, you know, young players, especially, I think it's great read for any coach, no matter what you're doing. So you understand how to create better movements with guys because you can create internal moves with, uh, you know, external focuses, um, you know, so I, I would just recommend that, you know, when you read those books, you read them with a, a grain of salt of understanding, because when you look at golf, uh, which is the only uh, activity uh, in sport that I would consider comparable to swinging a bat, um, you know, with the complexity of it and the dynamic nature of it, um, you know, you can't, guys know that they can't be a better golfer if they have a really bad slice just by aiming to the left, Right. And, and that external goal is not going to alter the movement patterns that you have in your body. Um, so for young guys, I think it's huge. But for older players, you know, you have to have a combination of those things. Um, I would recommend getting on hitting Twitter. Um, you know, uh, I've learned a ton from some, you know, just great resources and coaches. You know, you go follow uh, Ryan Parker and you know, Connor Dawson and Rick Strickland and Dustin Lind and, uh, you know, JD hitting. And, you know, you go follow, uh, you know, all those guys, man, everybody on there, Jeff Leach and, uh, you know, Pierce and, you know, all the, all the good resources on hitting Twitter that are putting out, uh, you know, constantly putting out, um, you know, just good information. Um, you know, Chapman baseball, uh, lesser followed guy, amazing, does really good work. Um, you know, just, uh, tons of, tons of really good guys on leg kick nation, follow Steve. Those guys are really good. Um, you know, Carlton Salters puts out a lot of good stuff. Um, a lot of good ones, man. Jim Bracone, uh, you look at, um, uh, Pete Lawrence and, you know, hitting Twitter is probably the most valuable source to be honest. Yeah, I'm on hitting Twitter a lot, and like I, I mean, that's I've found I've learned a ton on there. Um, I know a lot of people who are listening are maybe like work at a facility or go to a facility that has that 30 minute or an hour structure that we were talking about earlier, which isn't the you know most beneficial for the player. If you're at a facility like that, what's the best way to use that 30 minutes or an hour? Uh, depends on the hitter. <laughs> <laughs> everybody always, you know, uh, clowns because it's like, uh, I'm always like Switzerland with those answers. Um, because it's the truth, you know, it's not a cop out. It's the truth. Like there are some guys that would benefit from you just challenging the crap out of them right away. And other guys that would benefit from more movement work and other guys that would benefit from more movement work, but, uh, they're not going to buy in. You know, you got to get them, you got to get them uh, bought in first. Um, I would recommend, though, for every hitting coach listening, I think one of the struggles in hitting is that, you know, even with the best of intentions and even with a lot of knowledge and you know you can help a guy, uh, if you don't have a shared understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and why, um, I don't think they're going to be willing to listen. And when hitters are not willing to listen, they're not going to get results no matter what you do. So you're going to pull all your hair out. 
Uh, I would recommend that you learn how to do evaluations, uh, that you would meet players first. You would get to get to know them, get to know what their results have been like, uh, get to know what they feel like they struggle with, uh, get to know what they feel like they want to get better on, um, you know, get to know what their swing uh, looks like and produces results-wise, uh, be able to explain to them the things, the direction you would like to take them based on all that stuff. Um, you know, provide them with some sort of brief synopsis of those things, uh, you know, like get a shared understanding before you just start changing everything. Gotcha. Because not everything that people, not everything that everyone thinks they should change. Like I've been doing this a long time. Like I've been researching and, and heavy into this for a long time. And, you know, just three years ago, uh, you know, I, 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 there's a kid that I've had, he graduates this year. Uh, he's going to, uh, St. Thomas university. Um, and he's a huge academic kid, 4.8, like, you know, 1500 SAT. Like, uh, he's, I've had him since he's 12. Like I, I was coaching him and when I was doing travel ball back in the day, you know, it was like seven years ago. And, you know, the kid, um, is a stiffer mover. He's a corner guy. And he always had his back foot opened up behind him. And I made a huge deal out of it for years. I was always trying to get him to, you know, to get him to, you know, pinch it closed and, you know, keep his knee inside of him and, and that would give him more power and he wasn't turning his hips enough. And, you know, like, um, I tell more hitters to open up their back foot pointed towards the catcher now. Uh, and I do the opposite. Like it puts you into your glute better. It controls your forward move better. Um, it provides freedom in your, in your back, like in your back hip, uh, cause he had, I'm sure he had poor internal rotation. Um, like, and he was a good hitter and I kept trying to take that away from him. Like, I think we've all failed. We all fail. None of us know everything. Like our job is to figure out what they need, not what we want to teach them, you know? So in that 30, le- 30 minute lesson, if you only got 30 minutes, man, um, you better be, uh, and, and if you're a college or a high school guy that doesn't get a lot of individual time with the hitters, like, and you want changes made, like get on the same page, let them know you care and you're really doing a good job before you just tell them to do this and do that. Because, you know, what if all summer long he's been pissing on the baseball? What if he just overhauled his entire swing? He's the best he's ever been. And something you think you want different, that different thing is something that is, has helped him and you're taking away from him something that internally he knows has helped him tremendously. Like you, you just lost all credibility. No, I, I understand. Never I understand where you're coming from. Um, one last question. You've been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Uh, what goals do you have for your, for your future? Is it a, do you one day want to be a head college coach? Do you, I mean, what do you want to do? Um, well, I know how I want to go out. I'm going to, I already know how I'm going to go out. I know I'm leaving this world. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start coaching college probably when I'm like 50, 55. Uh, I want to be part of a, uh, a smaller, a smaller team, maybe a smaller D one that, um, you know, is getting guys that are overlooked or, or passed up. And, you know, I want to find out how good I am about, you know, with developing players and developing talent and culture and team and, uh, kind of put it all together and, you know, somewhere probably 25 years down the road from that, uh, you know, I'll be like, you know, 85 years old 
and, you know, screaming about somebody missing a pick play or, or a bunt defense, or not screaming, but enthusiastically and passionately expressing my opinion, uh, <laughs> you know, on, uh, on missing a pick play or a bunt coverage after spending all those years of, uh, you know, teaching and wanting guys to, you know, hit nukes. Um, you know, but uh, for the time being, um, I would say that uh, for myself and for 108, I want to continue to, you know, make myself better every day and learn as much as I can and continue to grow. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's more important sometimes in life to know what we don't want than to actually know exactly what we want. And, you know, we definitely have thought about it and we have a scope for the business for the future and things that we, you know, have on the table that, you know, we would consider. Uh, but, you know, uh, I know what I don't want. And, um, you know, I, that, that I think is, is more important. I'm very happy with the environment that I'm in and I'm very happy with uh, the relationships that we're able to build with the players throughout the years and uh, being able to be a trusted place where they can come and, uh, get information, whether it be pro guys during the off season or, um, you know, college players during the summer and breaks or, or high school players and youth guys throughout the year. Um, you know, this place is like a second home, you know, like these kids, uh, I have two kids of my own, but I end up spending more time with these guys every week than I do my own kids, uh, because of the schedule. So it's like, uh, you know, they're all, you know, they're all, uh, family, you know, I got uh, 175 guys that I take care of. So, um, you know, I love that aspect of it. So for me to, um, ever leave that would have to be like, man, it would just have to be the perfect thing. I mean, it would just have to be, it would have to be perfect. So right now we're just going to keep plugging away and keep trying to do a good job and get better every day over here. And, uh, whatever happens happens, you know, dynamic adjustability is the key to hitting. And I think it's also the key to life, you know, being able to, to, to roll with things and make good decisions as they come along, because, things present themselves and, you know, we've had a lot of opportunities and I've had a lot of opportunities and, you know, uh, I, I didn't want them, you know? So Eugene, you've been awesome. Really appreciate the time. Uh, you guys make sure to go follow him on Twitter and Instagram at one Oh eight underscore performance. Um, Eugene really appreciate the time again. Yeah, you got it, man. Pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me.